As I mentioned in the beginning of Mass, we've finally reached the end of our series on John chapter 6, week 5 of 5. And we journey through this very important teaching of Jesus as we dove right into his actions and his words as we st- step by step. And if we recall, five weeks ago, we began with encountering the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, through which Jesus was signaling that he was the new Moses coming to bring the new manna. And this miracle had all the people, the crowds, hyped up, even so much that they followed him and sought him. And as Jesus would call them out on, they did so for all the wrong reasons. They wanted their bellies full. And so they asked him to, for, to perform a sign that would be greater than the miracle of the manna in the desert. Because if he performed such a miracle that was greater, then that would really prove that he is the Messiah come into the world. And Jesus tells them, the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And hearing those words, they say to Jesus, sir, Give us this bread always. And their desire is the window of opportunity for Jesus to instruct them on the new manna, the bread of life, the Eucharist. And so Jesus begins his discourse and he gives them the one-two punch, you could say. It's the one-two punch because, as he, remember, he used that one historical event, the miracle of the manna, of the manna in two different ways. First, he uses that miracle in the manna as a metaphor for his divinity. In short, Jesus was telling the crowds, just like the manna came down from heaven, so too I have come down from heaven. And like, hold up for a second. We know your mama. We know your daddy. How can you say you're from heaven? And Jesus continues to draw them to believe that he is divine. He has come to bring the bread of life. And so then he hits them, you could say, with the punch that knocks them out. Because he uses the manna again and says, remember, just like your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, so too you must eat the bread that comes down from heaven. And the bread that's going to come down from heaven is my flesh for the life of the world. And like, hold up, again, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This man's crazy. And Jesus, rather than backing down and saying, look, guys, I was kidding, he intensifies his language and says, look, you don't just have to eat my flesh. You have to gnaw, you have to chew on my flesh. And so, with all this in mind, we come to the moment we find ourselves in the gospel passage today. But from the beginning of our gospel passage, something is totally different. Because all this time, Jesus is telling us what all the crowds were doing. The crowds asked this. The crowds said this. The crowds were doing this. But now, John focuses in on the disciples and what they have to say and what they do. Those closest to Jesus. And John tells us, many of Jesus' disciples who were listening said, this saying is hard. 
Who can accept it? And upon hearing his disciples, his own disciples, say this, Jesus does not say, guys, I was kidding. Why are you taking me so literally? Rather, he says, are you shocked by this? Another translation, are you offended by my words of what I said? He says, but what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? In other words, what Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, are you shocked by my teaching? What if you were to see me to rise from the dead and then ascend into heaven? Would you be shocked by that? Would you be surprised by that? And that's a mystery in itself. And what Jesus is also trying to do is saying, look, guys, you're not going to eat a dead person. You're going to consume me as a resurrected, glorified, ascended, and seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. This is who you will receive. And Jesus continues. And he says, it is the spirit that gives life while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. I want us to pause here for a second. Those words right there are the dividing point between us Catholics and almost all Protestants. Those words. Because as most of our Protestant brothers and sisters do, when they, when they read those words, they say, Okay, this is the lens through which we have to take all of Jesus' words. He's been saying, eat my flesh, eat my flesh, eat my flesh. But he said the spirits give life. The flesh is of no avail. But there's a couple things, my brothers and sisters, that we have to understand. One is Jesus had plenty of opportunities to tell his disciples in the crowd he was kidding. But he never took that opportunity. Secondly, Notice Jesus did not say this, that my flesh is of no avail. And thirdly, Jesus had just spoken about the resurrection. And so when he says it's the spirit that gives life, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which infuses us with God's own life. And so, when we hear these words of Jesus, we have to take as a rule of thumb that Jesus does not contradict himself. He's God. But all up to this point, he's instructing us and teaching us about the real presence of the Eucharist and the jam-packed gift of the Holy Spirit that is contained within And then the moment comes, my brothers and sisters. After everything we've seen, from the multiplication of the loaves, to the walking on the water, to the teaching of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, after it's all said and done, I can just imagine the scene. Jesus teaching and teaching and teaching, answering questions, and then finally he stops. Remember, he's in the synagogue. I'm sure it was dead silent. I'm sure they're looking at one another, asking, 
Do we have to believe this? Silence descends upon them. And then one by one, this happens. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied them. They left. And Jesus let them leave. Because Jesus would not compromise the teaching on the Eucharist. He let his own disciples leave. As we all know, we're in a moment in our church when we are like the disciples, I think. We too are asking the same questions. How can this be? This is a hard reality. These are hard scandals to hear. It's hard to accept the evil that's been done. Who could accept it? Who could really accept what's happening right now? And my brothers and sisters, despite all this, I think that God is speaking very clearly to you and to me. Despite all that's happening, the noise that's going around in the news and the revelations, God is shouting to us through our scripture readings, through the gospel readings last week and especially this week. And I'm utterly convinced as I've been praying throughout this whole week about this homily, I'm utterly convinced that God has allowed for these things to come to light in our church at this moment. Why? Because you and I are asking the same questions the disciples are asking in the gospel. Who can accept this? How can this be? Is this really true? And let's face the reality. People are leaving the church because of it, just like the disciples were leaving. They're abandoning the church and they're abandoning our Lord. And if we go back to our gospel, notice what Jesus does when, all the, when most of the disciples leave. He turns to the 12. He turns to those men he's been forming for three years right now who are so close to him, spent night after night with him, day after day with him. And he asked them too, do you also want to leave? He's willing to let the 12 leave over the Eucharist. And Peter steps up, who often puts his foot in his mouth, but he steps up big time here. He says, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and we are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's response, I think, shows us that he didn't fully believe in the Eucharist either. It was hard for him to accept the teaching too. But he knew who Jesus was. He believed in Christ. 
He had his faith in the Holy One of God. And so, yes, he struggled with the teaching, but he was willing to struggle with Christ. Is this not us, my brothers and sisters? Is this not where we stand in our current situation? And I think Jesus is looking at each and every single one of us. He's looking us in the eyes and he's asking us the same question. Will you leave too? Upon hearing all these things, are you going to leave me too? And thanks be to God that you sit in this church today. Thank you for coming back. Because by your presence here, you're echoing the words of Peter. You're saying, to whom shall we go? Where am I going to go? I'm, I believe and I'm convinced that Christ is the Holy One of God and that he has the words of eternal life. Where else would I want to be? No, I don't believe all this fully. I can barely comprehend such evil. It's a hard reality to accept, but where else would I go, Jesus? I can never abandon you. I love you. I'm convinced that God is speaking to us and he's such a good God. We're asking right now, how can such a good God allow for all this? We're seeing our good God at work because in the midst of all this evil, he's speaking to us. And he's giving us these readings, these teachings on the Eucharist, afresh in our minds and hearts. Right now, this is a time for us to allow Jesus to look at us in the eyes and let him ask that question. And for us to look right back at him and say, I will never abandon you, Lord. You have the words of eternal life. You are my salvation. You're the one I love. You're the one I trust. You're the one I believe in. How good our God is to us because in the midst of this deafening toil, he's shouting out to us and calling out to us and he's saying, my sons, my daughters, taste and see my goodness for you. Taste and see my love for you. Taste and see my goodness through the Eucharist because I'm here with you and I will never abandon you. And may this day we give thanks to God because we get to taste and see his goodness.